Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. What a show we got on tap for you today. First of all, you see it's episode 143, so, huh, I wonder who Papa Siegel could be paying homage to this week. Let's just get it right off the bat because I got a feeling it's a little important. The petty name may be attached in some form or fashion to the number, to the sport in general. So I hope that my dad is paying homage to somebody in that family this week. It it couldn't be Richard Petty, could it? Let's find out together. Thank you, Do, and welcome everyone to episode 143. I've been looking forward to this week for a while for reasons that should be obvious. If last week's homage to Lee Petty in number 42 is a no-doubter, then this week qualifies as a no-brainer. We've had the opportunity to look back on some of the most famous numbers in racing history, numbers that instantly evoke great teams or drivers. But one name and number stands above all others atop NASCAR's Mount Rushmore. If you were to ask a regular sports fan, not a racing fan, to name a historically great car number, driver, and sponsor, I'd bet my pension that the overwhelming response would be car number 43, the sponsor would be STP, and the driver would be the king, Richard Petty. Car 43 tops the list above all other car numbers in terms of starts, 2,177, and of course wins, 199. It'll come as a surprise to some that King Richard only, did I really just say only, drove the 43 car in 1,125 of those races. He won 192 times in the 43 car. Let that one sink in for a bit. 192 wins, not starts, wins in one car. Did you know where his other eight wins came from? Six came in the 41, and the other two in the 42. The King's list of notable accomplishments is too long for this pod segment, but here's an abbreviated list. 200 cup wins. The first to win seven cup titles. Seven Daytona 500 wins, and 10 wins at all at Daytona, the most ever. More poles than anyone else, ever, 123. Most wins in one season, 27 in 1967. That year included a streak of 10 consecutive wins. Again, the most ever. Beyond the numbers, several things always have stood out for me about the King. You'll never find a better ambassador for the sport. I wonder how many autographs he's signed over the years, but I've never heard of him turning anyone away. And if you have one, you know it's no piece of chicken scratch 
but a carefully crafted piece of art. The trademark cowboy hat, the charismatic smile. But the two I always come back to are the wins and the fact that he's lived to tell about them. Again, 200 wins. Consider, that's almost double the amount of number two on the list, a guy named David Pearson. And more than double all the others, with names like Gordon, Allison, Waltrip, Johnson, Yarborough, and Earnhardt. And Petty was one tough mother. We've talked about the 60s and 70s as a time when speed outpaced safety. The King excelled and survived during this time, including walking away from some horrendous wrecks. Don't take my word for it. Check out his wrecks at Darlington in 1970, which led to the invention of the driver's safety net. 1980 at Pocono, where he broke his neck but kept on racing in the following weeks. In 1988 at Daytona, when his 43 car was turned into a tumbling, spinning, and parts-shredding mess. Richard Petty was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers in 1988. Duh. He was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame as part of its inaugural class in 2010, and he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1992 by President George H.W. Bush, the first motorsports athlete ever to be so honored. I'm sure one of Davey's great pleasures in covering races when he makes it to the track is to see the King still holding court at the 43 hauler or in the pits. He's simply in my book, The Goat. Kuchiga! That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, didn't see that one coming at all. 43, Richard Petty. What a historic figure in the world of motorsports. And I say the world of motorsports because he's the king. He's one of, if not the greatest NASCAR stock car driver of all time. But having that moniker also means that you are one of the best race car drivers to ever exist and walk this earth. So a well-deserved homage to good old RP, Richard Petty, who has a great birthday, by the way. I'll tell the story real quick. So I've, I've met Richard Petty a handful of times, but I've interacted with him once. And it was when Bubba Wallace was still driving the 43 car. I had an interview set up with him at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Say hi to the PR rep, says, hey, you should take a seat outside the hauler. Bubba will be ready in a couple minutes. Cool, great. Richard Petty sits down next to me. Holy shit, right? So I'm sitting there, he's signing autographs for some fans. He gets a little bit of a break. I lean in, practice is going on by the way, so it's it's just inherently loud, right? I lean into his ear, I say, Mr. Petty, nice to meet you. I just wanted to say, you have a great birthday. He says, what? Because he's obviously been at the racetrack for his entire life and he's hard of hearing because, you know, earplugs weren't a thing for a while. I said, I just wanted to say, you have a great birthday. He said, one more time, son. I said, July 2nd, it's my birthday too. You got a great birthday. And then he kind of sits back a little bit. He looks at me, he goes, July 2nd? I said, yep. He goes, son, that's a good day. And he walks away. And I was like, holy shit, that was Richard Petty. <laughs> that was crazy. I think I may have told that story on the podcast before, but if not, and if you're a new listener, there's the story. Richard Petty and I share a birthday. He's got a couple years on me, just a few. 
but that was one of the, the cool memories. So, you know, when Richard Petty always comes up in conversation and everybody's like, oh my God, the king, that's awesome. I can always tell them that we share a birthday and I mentioned it to him. And I can always say on my birthday, that's a good day because Richard Petty said that it was. All right, enough babbling. Let's get this episode started the way we always do. With a good old fashioned a little bit weak there's like some still some phlegm in my throat from my from my experience with the cocoa last week but I'm getting better I'm all good I'm not getting better I am better just some residual stuff plus I barely slept this weekend covering the races at Martinsville Speedway so I think that my body is just kind of like catching up to being perpetually awake I need to sleep more anyways somebody that can help us do that by determining whether or not we should go to the racetrack, we should watch TV. If we wanna get a quick nap in before, during, after the race, due to mother nature interference and weather is Brian Newdorf, who as you can see is the guest on the show this week. He is a NASCAR weatherman extraordinaire, an unofficial NASCAR weatherman at that. We get into his title, how he started this journey of forecasting NASCAR weather, and also being a meteorologist in general, which by the way is a very hard word to spell and a very hard word to say when you're doing live podcasts. He's always been a race fan growing up in the Midwest and we kind of got into why he decided to go down the NASCAR meteorology route. And also there's been a little bit of tough times and tumultuous times in his career doing this for the last few years on social media in terms of getting some backlash from some fans and maybe some people inside the industry. So he chats about that a little bit, gets a little bit real about how he manages people just getting mad at him for no real reason because it's not his fault that it's raining or it's snowing or it's misting at the track. And I did want to ask him that one question that I think I and every race fan who has watched a second of racing in their lives want to know. The vortex theory. Is it real or is it fake? The answer to that and much more in this chat with NASCAR weatherman extraordinaire, Brian Newdorf. No umbrellas needed, people. I promise. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today somebody that is much smarter than me, probably one of the smartest guests in the history of the show. You guys may know him on Twitter as NASCAR weatherman, but he is Brian Newdorf, and he is the unofficial, but in my heart, in my book, the official NASCAR weatherman. How you doing today, Brian? Well, the flattery may get you everywhere. Um, you're, that's way <laughs> too kind. Uh, ask my wife. I'm not that smart. Um, oh, okay. And also, I have to say, I mean, yeah. I mean, I started this oh, after a while. I started this in like, I want to say 20 or 2008. Maybe it was mm -hmm. that NASCAR weatherman was born. It was more out of like birth of Twitter and we'll get into that here. But the point is, is I can't let you go without giving a shout out to basically my partner in crime. Now, Aaron Studwell at mm -hmm. race weather. So, um, you know, cause this is a, a, this is really of two minds are forecasting. We used to be competitors, you know, what was it? DW coopetition, uh, <laughs> coopetition turned into cooperation. There you go. And, um, I'm really grateful to have him, uh, him and I as friends and to do this side by side, he carries a lot of weight, uh, with it in the last few years with my transition. So I wanted to make sure while I appreciate the accolades right now, I need to make sure I give Dr. Yeah. Aaron Studwell. See, he's got a doctor. I've only got a bachelor's. So he's way smarter than maybe both of us. 
That's fair. I'll get him on next week, and then we'll have the official smartest Matt Ascar weatherman. On yeah, exactly. That, that, that We need to make sure we, we balance yeah. things out here. Yeah, well, I did have Aaron on my outline here because you've obviously been doing the unofficial NASCAR weather with him for a handful of years now. So you said it started back, what, like 2008 or something like that, kind of when the boom and the birth of Twitter happened? Yeah, I want to say that. The reason I say 2008, I could, I could probably Google it, like, when did I start? NASCAR, maybe NASCAR, the, the actual account, at NASCAR underscore WX. And for everybody who knows, you said it right. WX is an old Morris code Yes. abbreviation for weather so that's why i and back in the day you know it was you know very less uh characters and so <laughs> and i put the unofficial and so far nascar hasn't dinged me for using the nascar title um but i was posting nascar weather stuff on my personal account and i was on tv and i was losing followers Okay. So, uh, hmm. as a TV person at the time, I'm like, well, I don't want to lose followers. So yeah. I created a separate NASCAR account, but really, and I'll, you're probably going to ask this. So I'm just going to jump right in. How did NASCAR weatherman get born? Um, I'm a fan. Uh, I mean, my fandom starts probably briefly in 94 when I'm an indie guy. I mean, I'm from the Indianapolis area. Mm-hmm. I went to Purdue. That's my education. And so my parents have tickets to the 500 and I have a connection through family. Uh, And that connection is um, my grandfather, my mom's dad was Tony Holman's personal pilot. So my mom actually babysit Tony George. All right. So, um, you know, that's my family connection. I don't really know, but that was my family connection. So my, my parents have the Holman's old seats outside of turn one. That's what my mom tells me. It wow. could be complete crap, but that's what I've been that's growing up cool. to be told. So, yeah, we can see through the, 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 the main straightaway into the turn one and outside of turn two. So that's my start into racing. I liked IndyCar. I was a, I'm a Rick Mears guy. That's what was my driver. Uh, I was 12 years old going to my first uh, IndyCar race. So I knew Tony Stewart in IndyCar before I knew him in NASCAR. Right. Um, People always forget that too. Everybody talks about the success or lack of success. um, And they always forget Tony for some reason. He won a championship. Granted, it was, you know, what, the IRL, not CART, you know, that weird split. Mm -hmm. But still, he won a championship. I think he's that's right. So anyway, um, I got into racing. I, I think for me, it was 2001. It was Dale Earnhardt. I, I was, I watched, I watched the, the Brickyard. You know, I remember Gordon winning the, the first Brickyard 94. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. So uh, he won that. I mean, he was we, a lot of hype because he had connections to Indiana. Um, so he kind of became my de facto driver, but I wasn't really into it. And it probably wasn't until college. I paid attention a little bit, Tony Stewart going there into NASCAR. And then I remember watching the Daytona 500 when we lost Dale Earnhardt. And at the time, my wife now, but girlfriend at the time, I thought her family was way more in a NASCAR than I thought. So I thought, oh, I'm going to be, you know, really good and pay attention a little bit more. This is why I have something to talk to the potential uh, family members of my girlfriend. Right. Uh, and then I remember that. And then I've been a fan since. Then fast forward to Twitter and being a weatherman, I mean, or a meteorologist, because that's what I am. Um, I just thought, hey, I, I was watching a broadcast and everything you should do wrong in broadcast. I shouldn't say that. I like the commentators, but you know, you're talking about rain approaching a track, but you're not showing people anything. And I'm like, well, I'm a meteorologist and I like racing. 
And then at the time I had, it's still there, but uh, I had a WeatherTap subscription, subscri subscription and you could superimpose um, that radar onto Google Earth. So I just found the tracks, started showing radar and said, okay, it's this far out. I think it's going to be, you know, this is before radar scope and everybody else and now has it. you actually know what you're talking about, by the way. Yeah. And I was just saying, well, you know, they're right, but here's what it's going to be and stuff like that. And then Jeff Gluck took notice. And he's like, well, why don't you do a forecast instead of just updates? And it was like, <laughs> keep in mind, this is going to sound funny or probably seem appropriate. But that first race that I was talking about rain arriving was Pocono. Seems to never be fails, fair. never <laughs> fails. No, it's gotten better. But um, and then Jeff Gluck saw. And so this is still around 2018. My first my first NASCAR race wasn't at Indy, but it was at Watkins Glen. And it got rained out of mm. all things. I went back never on a fails. Monday. Never fails. Oh, Watkins Glen is great, by the way. If you've never been to a road course, I highly awesome. recommend it. Awesome. But um, yeah, Jeff was like, well, why don't you just start doing forecasts? All right. So despite the fact that probably we diverged a little bit, I started around the same time as NASCARgasm. We started on with SB Nation and Jeff Gluck. Yep. I'm nowhere near. Granted, I don't have to blur my face either. So um, <laughs> uh, I know him. I've met him. Great guy. Same also from the indie area. Uh, maybe I'm giving away too much information, but um, well, he's been on this show as has okay. Jeff Gluck. He's one of my biggest mentors. So this is like the big three. I like it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jeff, where I mean, he just was very encouraging. And of course, he took Twitter by storm. And so that's out of all of that. That's how kind of NASCAR weatherman came. And I didn't really know about Aaron. And there were some other meteorologists doing this thing. And yeah, at one point it was competition. You know, we were vying for views. But we were pretty much saying the same thing most of the time. I guess my big claim to fame was slightly going rogue. I mean, I think Aaron and I were both kind of on the same page. We weren't really working together necessarily like we are today. But it was the the one where Daytona was running on Monday night. Mm. And I think Sunday evening when they canceled, I said, you're not going to race this on Monday. I think Aaron even thought I was crazy for going out that far. I'm like, you're not going to do this. And sure enough, they ran Monday night. I got lucky, I guess. I don't know. Just something I saw said just, and I don't like to call washouts. I don't like to call washouts. That's why I think that's, I got tired of that telling people percent chance of rain. So I went with percent chance of racing. Um, right. I think that conveys better, you know, so all these different things have come out and even AccuWeather started using odds of racing. Hmm. I, I, that started with me. Thank you very much. People do take kind of like what you say as gospel. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Like when I see that rain is in the forecast, I always go to your page. I always go to Aaron's page and I look at what you guys are saying because I, I mean, as good as AccuWeather is and as good as Bob Pockers is, I trust you guys more because you guys know what you're talking about when it comes to this. I love Bob. I love Bob, but sometimes I'm not a NASCAR journalist. I don't go into that fray. That's not my job. So yeah. uh, he's good, but sometimes he posts things. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble here with Bob. I like, I really do like Bob, but there are moments where I'm like somewhat cringeworthy when he posts a radar and it's like, dude, you're not, you're, you're looking at something and you don't even know what you're looking at. Uh, He's doing work for the people. We love Bob. Oh, and exactly. No, he is. He is. And I need to be better, but it's been really quiet the start of the season, which is, I was going to say, it must be me. really nice so far, not having to deal with rain on race day and getting a flurry of tweets asking you what's happening. Yeah. It's been helpful too, because I've been working a lot of Sundays. And missing the race. So, I mean, like you, I probably have multiple monitors here. I will also tell you on, on races where there are rain, I don't watch the coverage. I don't. I, I follow Twitter 
And I keep an eye on radar. I actually have a radar up here because we are going to see some showers. I have to go to work out uh, here. Uh, and I do it. And we can talk more about that, a career change. I hope I haven't stepped on your toes. I just talk. Again, 20 years almost of being a broadcast you said meteorologist. Before, like, yeah, I just talk. We'll be fine. I, I see what you mean. I just talk. I mean, I, I have an idea. I'm intuitive of what you're probably going to ask me. Mm-hmm. You're smart. You know, okay. So he's going to ask me like how I started. Why did I do this? But ultimately going back to why did I do this? I mean, ultimately I was a fan. Ultimately NASCAR weatherman is a fan who happens to be a meteorologist. Okay. I just was a fan like everybody else. I want good information for the fan. Cause that's what I am. Mm-hmm. I don't want people not to go to the race. But I also want people to go and have a good time. It's expensive. I've spent money. I've gone to Michigan and I stayed in Toledo and had to drive 45, 60 minutes to the track because I couldn't afford the hotels closer to the track. I know what it's like to spend that money. I know what it's like to be rained out. I know what it's like to sit through a rain delay. It's the worst feeling. It is. Uh, and, you know, I, I can't. I wish. So. Um. In the last couple of years, um, the NASCAR weather people are like, I feel like there's wanted sides across the, the NASCAR track system and it's got Aaron and I's faces on it. Like if you see these men, um, it goes back to Atlanta, that first spring race when they brought it back before their uh, rain guarantee, we got a forecast, right? We said it was going to be cold. It was like forties. It was drizzly. It didn't stop them from racing, but we said, Hey, it's going to be cold and kind of damp. Everything was saying it, not just my forecast, not just Aaron's forecast. If you went to your app, it probably said the same thing. And the local media in Atlanta was saying the same thing. But guess who the biggest boogeyman's and the biggest bad guys were? Of course, is you guys. Yeah. And I don't think we've lived that one down. I think we're still on some blacklist because of that one in NASCAR. So well, that one, that on one's people's a, parade. Quite so literally. <laughs> yeah. More like we rained on their pace lap. Yeah. There you go. So I, I, if NASCAR does pay attention or somebody there, please let us back. We do care. We're not trying to hurt the sport. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Like I said, I want fans to go. Uh, I use this example. And if I bounce around, I apologize. But my mom went to that IndyCar race with the t- Goodyear tire debacle where they went basically seven, eight laps and, um, you know, they couldn't keep going and the tires, you know, they had to go in and pit and stuff. The, she the won't go back to 400 that year, the brickyard. Yeah. The brickyard. Yeah, yeah. And they had that tire debacle in Indy. Yeah. My mom went to that race. She's not going to go back to another race. She had a horrible time. You know, I want fans to have a good time. And I've had a lot of messages. Like I don't ever tell anybody not to go. People will tell me, what do you think I should do? And I tell them first thing I say is I can't tell you what to do. I don't want to be liable for whatever you lost if you decide mm-hmm. or not decide to go. But I'm going to tell you this. If it were me, based on the information I see as a meteorologist, if it was my decision. This is what I would do. This is X, Y, and Z is what I would do based on my knowledge, my expertise. And this is my plan. This is what I would do. Yeah. And I get a lot of people who will ask me, hey, I can go Sunday or I can go Monday, but I can't afford to do both. What would you do? And so I try to give that honest answer to people. Yeah. Um, only because I get it. I want them to have a good time. I want them to come back to a race. Ultimately, I want them to go back to a race. I understand that's 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 my goal. I'm a fan. I want you to have a good time. I want you to love this sport like we all love this sport. And nobody wants to sit through a rain ultimately to have it canceled. 
That's like yeah. four or five hours, six hours of your day gone. Trust like I me. said, it's the worst feeling. I mean, when I was a kid, I've, I've been to races that have gotten rained out, canceled, couldn't go back. I've been to races where I thankfully was able to go back. But rain on race day, especially when you've put in the time, invested the money to go there, it's the worst feeling because you can't do anything about it. Nothing. So, yeah, I mean, that's ultimately what drives me. I mean, I, I don't get anything because I'm okay. So for those who may have known or not known back in 2019, I left my TV career. All right. I, I left, I was the chief meteorologist at uh, Twin Falls, Idaho. Um, I already knew probably before that uh, I was going to make a change in career. It, answer to a prayer or whatever you want to call it. I had an old high school classmate ask me at one point, have you ever thought of the national weather service? I was like, yeah, I'm not smart enough, but yeah, I have thought about it. <laughs> um, and, but he's like, no, no, we need people like you. I'm like, okay. So I started for about a year trying to figure out how I'm going to get there. And here I am. I'm now a national weather service meteorologist. I'm like, I want to be like NASCAR. Does that give me a little bit more cred? You know, I'm to not me, a TV guy. I'm a, me, I'm, I'm a national weather service, but I will tell you, um, I try not to step on any toes in my profession or, or, um, what I do. So I don't like Aaron took over the Patreon and that's all him. I don't make, this is what now it's gone from a little side gig, a little side hustle before I left TV to now it is 100% uh, volunteer on my part. So maybe that's another reason why my tweets and my activity is backed off a little bit between my new job and the fact that this is, you know, on my own time. And I've got at that time too. my, 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 my youngest is now a freshman in college. My oldest are in their third year of college. So, you know, as a dad, you kind of want to spend time with your family. So yeah. uh, sometimes I'll choose, you know, do I want to watch a, a race for three hours or do I want to have a free weekend? Do I want to spend it with my family? So I've been guilty of that, but I do try to keep up and, Twitter and your phone. You can, my wife, well, I like my wife, but I got to update this real quick. I've literally done that. We've been out someplace. In fact, I can tell you since last weekend was Richmond, I was at an award ceremony. It was a Richmond race. I'm literally during an award ceremony for TV, updating a Richmond race on my phone, yeah. dressed up going, okay, better, okay. hopefully it's, hopefully it's not do. the weather. Hopefully Everybody it's not the it. weather You're category. No so yeah, I've, I've been, I've, I've been guilty of updating Twitter and NASCAR weather at the worst times. So yeah. at least in my life. So you mentioned you went to Purdue. I'm also a big 10 grad, went to Michigan state. So we got that in common for us. Well, at um, least I can tolerate you better than Aaron. Aaron's a Michigan guy. Yeah. We don't talk about that. We don't talk okay. About that. And also, I mean, I, I'm, I, can I get, can I, can I mention another podcast on your podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Brandon at lap traffic nation. I have a, Great a regular alternate. Uh, I alternate with Aaron on his podcast. Uh, also another Michigan guy. And yes, we talk, there've been a lot of times recently we spent an entire, most of our talking about big 10 basketball or football. Yeah. And then we get, Oh yeah, we have weather to do. Yeah. Well, our coach doesn't punch people in the face, but that's neither here nor there. Anyways, <laughs> back on track. So doing some research, you know, I know you, you graduated from Purdue synoptic meteorology is what you got your degree in. What the hell does that mean? Please help me. Okay. So synoptic is just a scale. You got like your meso scale. You've got your synoptic scale. It's just a broader scale, like meso or micro, you know, your smaller meso, like mesos, uh, uh, meso scale, 
would be something like much closer couple, like maybe what I do with the weather service, but we have to see the synoptic. It's a much bigger word. It's just overview meteorology across, you know, much larger scale yeah. and understanding that. So that's what synoptic okay. meteorology is. That's what they called it. It's what I, think that's what, I think that's what my degree says. So, okay. That's why um, I put it down. That's because it's, it's literally on paper. Yeah. It sounds fancy, but it, I, I it mean, it sounds it is fancy. A- I don't even think they call even they call it that now. It's now it's also in the College of Science, not the huh. School of Science. And okay. you know, our our building was located in the uh, Civil Engineering Building. So, huh. so you I mentioned what go to- got you into racing and what made you a race fan. What got you into meteorology and interested in that? Because that's not necessarily a quote unquote normal profession or normal job to kind of take. I, my, my route is way different than a lot of other meteorologists. If you, if you would ask some meteorologists on this show, they probably tell you of a big event in their childhood that they lived through and it just sparked their interest. And that's how they became a weather person or, you know, a, a meteorologist or, you know, why did I go into television? They just, they've always wanted to be, none of those are true for me. In fact, <laughs> I went to Purdue shocking as an engineering major. I know who goes to Purdue to be an engineering right, major, didn't right? See that coming. No, I didn't see that coming. Um, now it wasn't also, it was also a weird interdisciplinary. It was going to be acoustical engineering. <laughs> I was really out there. Uh, I liked, I liked physics. I like wa- sound waves. I'm a musician. The idea that you design certain things to damper sounds. I mean, like, you know, you see those things on the side of the highways that are like barriers around neighborhoods. They look, they're also designed to help keep the sound from getting into the neighborhood. So hmm. Uh, that is like what an acoustical engineer would do is figuring out how to dampen sounds, maybe even how to help uh, around uh, sound systems and stuff. And there's probably some involved with even NASCAR. You know, you got loud cars, you need to damp. You know, that's why to, to all the fans who keep saying, why don't they build domes over tracks? It's sound and fumes. It's it's a whole bunch of bad things for the fans. Well, that's, that was one of my questions. Why don't they just build domes? You know, it would be better if they just open like uh, a big, like a big can't, like a big, you know, open sides. Yeah. <laughs> Put something because they're big and nobody, because you'd have weird supports sides of sorts. Yeah. So I don't know. And, and no, they cannot run rain tires on an oval. It's just physics. They're testing them. They're testing damp tires they are? on short tracks, at least. Yeah, they have short tracks. Years. Okay. Short tracks, short tracks. I can see. Yeah. And damp, not, a- not, not wet, but if the track is damp, you know, on, Places like New Hampshire, Richmond, Martinsville, they're testing those. Goodyear is. Oh, so you know, you know, once they do that, it will never rain. Like how many times have how how many times have NASCAR <laughs> fans now been waiting for rain tires at a road yep. course? Yeah. Except for okay, yep. there was, and it was a horrible. I mean, it was it was. But you know, if they actually debut them and they're like, all right, we're ready to go, then it's it's never gonna rain. Never gonna, gonna rain for fine. like five seasons. Right. Right. I promise you that. Uh, so going back to how I got into being a meteorologist, um, yes. I became a meteorologist. I've always been interested in the earth sciences. Okay. Um, I was a kid who loved to go to the natural history museums and science museums as a kid. My dad would take me. I remember watching, you know, my grandmother was really into watching the weather when I was visiting. Um, You know, I'm from Indiana, central Indiana. So we get storms, you know, and I remember just watching. Uh, I remember being really hot after mowing the lawn as a teen, just sitting. Maybe it's the soothing, smooth jazz of the weather channel. I don't know. (laughs) Just sitting there watching because I was too hot to change the channel. Um, I'm just always fascinated by all the earth sciences, astronomy, meteorology, geology, but weather I liked. And I went and I I marched in the Purdue band. So I met, there were two people who I went to college with. And when you, when you go to college, you've ever been part of a group, you introduce yourself. Everybody introduces themselves, what they are, what their major is. 
two people stood up and they said they're majoring in meteorology. And immediately I'm like, huh, you can major in that here? So the, 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 the cogs got spinning and I, they became my, my closest friends uh, even before. And um, sure enough, about six weeks into being engineering, I'm like, I'm going to change majors. Yeah, why so not? I switched. I went to meteorology. Um, I've always been interested in it. It's, it's, it's recognizing patterns. I like that aspect. And then I told people, when you tell somebody you're going to be a weather person or a meteorologist, then they say you're going to be on television. And I swore up and down I was never going to be on television. My first job's television. I, and I did almost 20 years Were you years told that you had a face for radio like I was? No. Um, I, I did have an advisor who, at, on day one, to all of us, like basically made media, like made broadcasting, like the scourge of the industry. And then later on, he was my academic advisor and says, Oh, you'll be really good in television. I felt, Oh, that means I'm not very smart. So <laughs> smartest person on this show. I, I don't, I can't comment. I don't know you that well. So <laughs> you did go to Michigan state, by the way, I have met your coach uh, at, uh, at a Michigan race. I like oh, your yeah. coach. Great guy. Yeah. We went over and said hi to him. Um, I like telling the story a lot differently, but my wife corrected me, but uh, we went over and said hi. And we sat and talked a little bit with him about at the time, Robbie Hummel and stuff. But I mean, he, I had a good experience with coaches. So I think he's, he's really the last of the OGs now. He is. Yeah. You know, he now was one that, of the uh, coaches that was missing from the final four of blue bloods this year. He was, I would have really liked to see Matt Painter. I'm just going to say, well, uh, my bracket would have as well. But, uh, yeah, I really, oh man, let's just not, I'm that, that yeah. wound is still, that, that hurts, man. That hurts still. And then you didn't do anything. It just hurts. It's, no. this is the season of what could have been and what wasn't for us. So you didn't really have any interest in it. I mean, you had interest in it, but you never, ne never necessarily like wanted to pursue it professionally. Not until, until college it kind of got presented to you. Yeah. I mean, I saw these openings and I'm like, huh, that sounds more interesting than what I'm, what I'm really going for. And then I got into it and I liked it. And I mean, I've learned so much now back at the weather service. A uh, TV weather is is um, very different than the weather service. Uh, the key thing in television is like what, you know, with a podcast, you, you got to communicate, you got to tell stories, you got to talk. And after a couple of years, you start losing. I'm not, you, you, you're still, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a good forecaster and I considered myself even through television and on NASCAR weatherman, a good meteorologist. I think now in the last three years, I'm a better meteorologist because um, I'm back to seeing the whole big picture. Okay. I'm not just looking for um, what's going on. And when I was on television, I had two things that I asked myself was what do the viewers need to know and what do they want to know? And they're not mutually exclusive. Same thing. I think with NASCAR fans, what do NASCAR fans want to know and what do they need to know? And again, they're not always the, the same answer. Um, yeah. So when you see like a bad forecast for a race the week leading up, do you just mentally prepare yourself for a barrage of tweets blaming you and Aaron for something you have no control over? I've, uh, I've gone through many phases on how I handle things on Twitter. And the, I stopped doing this a long time ago. I saw this from drivers. So I thought, Oh, it was kind of cool to do, but then I read something. So, like I used to like, just not, I would say thank you, but then I would retweet their nasty comments. And then my followers would just attack them. And that's a form of bullying. And I don't do that anymore. Mm. Um, I have most of the time I'm pretty thick skin, but you know, there's a day where you're just tired and you've just been at it. And 
you lose your cool or you say something in a way that you didn't mean to. Like I made a tweet one time and it was not very kind of Aaron. It was more tongue in cheek. It was inside kind of thing, but nobody knew that. Ooh, wow. That one, that one didn't go over real well with certain people who knew a little bit more than I thought they knew. And it's crazy um, how Twitter can be a vitriolic mean place. Sometimes wow, wait, the right? internet being mean. No, no, the me internet's not mean. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I mean, yeah, that, and I mean, okay, how do I prepare for a, uh, when I say a bad forecast, that makes me sound like the forecast is wrong. Let's call it a complicated forecast, or we know it's a forecast people aren't going to like. Troublesome. Troublesome, yes. It's going to be, well, I can tell you right now, typically I know a forecast is going to be troublesome when I'm getting tweets asking me like 10 days in advance, what's mm -hmm. the forecast for this race? And it just, the, the drum beat keeps getting louder and louder. Like these last couple of weeks since have been very quiet. Nobody's saying, oh, because they're wood. already looking at, huh? Knock yeah, on knock on wood. wood. It's going to happen. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's an outside sport, but we're due for a nice, long, dry stretch. I would like that. But it's an outside race and you race in the South. Like, wait till we get to summertime where pop-up showers and thunderstorms are a thing. Like I did coin the term too. It's not the rain you see on radar, but the rain you don't see that you need to be worried about. What does that mean? It's those pop-up storms, okay? Don't, sometimes, I even kind of told that, and I know uh, I explained that to um, uh, Pocris one time. You know, you gotta, you know, showing radar is one thing, but if you don't understand the environment and what's going on, the radar is not gonna, radar's only, like, everybody will tell me too, hey, what does the radar show for tomorrow? The, the radar doesn't, show, it's not a future tool. It's now and past. Like, I'm looking at my radar loop, it's over here, but um, it only can tell me where the rain is right now and where it came from. Based on that information, over a short term, I can infer some stuff. And I can also see, like, if I start to see some small development here and there on a radar throughout a day on a race, then I know that, okay, we're dealing with if the environments there. It's not going to be, like, real organized. They're going to be these pop-up hit or miss type variety. Um, and that's always the hard thing because, you know, what Aaron and I do versus what you typically see is we're literally forecasting for one point, you know, a couple of, couple of miles. All right. And, you know, I've had people get on me and be like, you were wrong. You said it was going <laughs> to rain today. It rained five miles from the track, like all day. It rained five miles from the track and they go, well, you said, it. I mean, I'm like, if that rain shifts five miles North or whatever direction it was, we would have been washed out. I'm like, you, you, you realize we're talking about a very fine distance here. I mean, we're talking about like, literally we're talking about a point, whereas mm -hmm. your bigger forecast, like I do for the weather service or on TV, I convey a much broader synoptic aspect right. I consider a much broader um, area. So when I say, you know, that's, that's kind of the things we have to kind of look at. So those are, those are just big things that I don't think people don't understand the intricacies that go into a, a spot forecast like NASCAR in a racetrack. Um, I mean, heck, how many times have, at a race you've seen it? It's only raining on one turn. You know, Indy's a yeah. good example. Daytona is a good example. Um, you can lose part of the track. So, um, you know, forecasting for like a, a couple square miles is way different than forecasting for a much larger area. Yeah. So, but no, how do I prepare? I mean, I just prepare. I just do my thing. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I try to kill people with kindness. I understand they spent money. They've, 
they're wanting, they're, they're planning their day around it. Again, I go back to why I did this in the first place. I try to put myself in their shoes as a fan. Okay. Um, I try to look at, I have joked, I've never done this. I've joked as with every podcast. Like I thought I should do every Wednesday, just take like six different weather apps and post their forecast on Wednesday yeah. and go, here's your, like, it was like Weber on TNT back when NASCAR, he goes, we looked it up. So you don't have to, well, that's what I would say. We looked it up. So you don't have to, you don't have here. I'm sending out the, I'm sending out the, the weather app screenshot. So you don't have to send them to me. Um, that way everybody would be like, okay, so, you know, no, I mean, it is frustrating when, um, I get somebody's weather app. It's like, and I know they mean well, but in my heart, it's like, are you trying to tell me I'm wrong? Are you, yeah. you know, are you trying to tell well, me how to well, do my one? app says this? I feel like too, sometimes they think like weather forecasting is like black Friday shopping. Like, <laughs> you know, Oh, well this app says what I want it to say. So I want this weather. That's the, if I pick that app, then that's the weather I'm going hey, to get. I'm guilty of that. Like if I'm going to a race and I'm like, well, this forecast says this, but this one's a little bit more optimistic. And I know that I have to go. I'm going to roll with the one that's a little bit more optimistic. We're all here. So now I caught you. Now I caught you in a contradiction because you said you always go to my page or Aaron's page. Now you're saying this is done. I'm noticing this. <laughs> hey, one thing that I wanted to ask you about was a couple of years ago at Texas Motor Speedway when it missed it for three straight days. How infuriating was that to deal with just from a meteorological standpoint? And then also dealing with everybody saying, Hey, When's it going to stop? Is it going to stop? Can we go in the mist? Why is this misting? Why does it keep happening? Because that's mist. one of those things where it wasn't an actual like event. It was just prolonged mist for three full days. Mist is hard because number one, you can't show anybody anything. A lot of times it's too low to the radar. Um, and mist is tough. Mist and fog are two really hard ones to forecast. I mean, I'm still having a hard time. I'm like I said, I'm better now. I probably could, I could pick up, I can tell you right now, this version of me will have a, have a better handle of mist and low level moisture situations than I would have back when I was in television. Again, you just try your best to convey to the fans. And I liked, I like our, I mean, I do have to say, I like how accurate Aaron and I are. Um, we're not, we're, meteorology is not a perfect science. Okay. We're not going to get it right every time. Or like I tell people sometimes when I'm, there's two times when I'm wrong about the weather, it's when I'm actually wrong or it's the weather you don't like, um, or wanted. Those are the two times I'm wrong. Um, but in an event like Texas, you know, or any event where, I mean, I, I look back at uh, like a Chicago too, where we had a front move through and then missed little drizzle behind it. And yeah, that's tough. Um, you just, again, you, you, you go through and you just try to convey to the the fans who follow you and you you hope that the people who do follow you and you, you give them an honest answer. And I mean, I've always believed honesty is the best policy. So if I'm having a hard time, I'm going to say, listen, this is complicated. I'm, you know, and that's why it's good to have Aaron and I, we talk, we really do. If it's, especially if it's a, like recently, no, we haven't had to talk much at all about these nice forecasts, but if it's a challenging forecast, we, A, talk about it too, to make sure the messaging we're on the same page. So we don't look like we're contradicting each other. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we'll literally go. So what are you, what do you, I mean, I, I'm, he'll, we'll both be like, so what are your odds of racing? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm leaning this way. He might, so literally it might be, well, I'm saying, I'm like, I might be more optimistic. 
Sometimes I'm not, but I'll, I'll, let's just say in this case, I'm more optimistic and I'm like, well, I'm going a 70% odds of racing. And he'll be like, mm, I'm thinking 60. Okay, 65. We're going to go with 65. You know, yeah. uh, that's kind of our compromise. We'll meet each other halfway. Um, but we do talk about it. And again, we try our best to make sure we're on the same messaging. And again, I get it. Fans are frustrated and they're going to say things. And I try not to let that get to me yeah. anymore. Um, or I just ignore them. I haven't really blocked anybody unless you get really belligerent. And then I, I here's something else I do. And this is, I think this should make anybody feel better. If you're getting bullied on Twitter, go see how many followers that person has. If they've got less than a hundred, are they really worth your time? Of course, in that it. non-existent, you know, profile picture. It. Nah, just don't engage. Look at that's, I mean, that's the couple of things I'll do now. I'll go. And if somebody gets belligerent or wants to attack me, a troll, I'll go on and look at a couple of things. Number one, I look if they have a picture. Okay, no, that's that's a sell, that's a telltale sign. <laughs> then let's say how many followers they have or who, how many they're five. following. Yeah, five. I'm like, okay, why am I wasting my time with this person? Okay, um, they're not obviously not saying anything anybody has, has interested or they're brand new and they just made this to um, come after me because they wanted to hide. Um, so that's kind of my general take. Is there like a region of tracks or any specific tracks in general that gives you guys fits more than any others? I mean, Southern Florida with pop-up showers like Daytona, Homestead, those can obviously be tricky for obvious reasons year round. But other than those, like, are there any specific ones that whenever they pop up on the schedule, you're like, uh-uh, we may have some Daytona, Daytona, especially Daytona summer. Well, back in the day, the July race. Yeah. I've gotten that one wrong more times than I'd like to admit. Um. Daytona's tough. The big ones, you try to bring your A game and you really hope you get the big races, you know, Brickyard. For me, the Brickyard's a big one. Um, it's, I don't feel like it's got the same prestige anymore, but the Brickyard is one. Obviously, the Southern, the Coke 600, Daytona 500, anything at Daytona is big. Um, you know, so those are the big ones. I mean, like Pocono, we joke, we expect rain. Um, I mean, I to, me, to me also, speaking of Pocono, um, and there was one, I was actually at this race. Um, and it literally was I, like, like, it looked like there was no shot, no chance of rain whatsoever at Michigan start of the race and a rain one shower pops up. I'm sitting, that's I'm sitting in the stands and I'm just like, Oh man, God, thank God. It's still early in my career. I'm like, thank God. Nobody knows who I am right now. Um, but I'd say Daytona, I mean, any of the big races, but Daytona has been a bait like that onshore flow sometimes. And the, you, you get set up that rain can sit there and it can sit there forever. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'd say that one is the biggest one. And the other part that also, I'm glad they're doing this now. And that was also when severe weather was possible. You know, I hated that it took uh, Pocono and I wrote an op-ed uh, uh, for SB nation regarding that. And to me, it was a hierarchy of a responsibility um, when that fan got struck by lightning, I mean, a, a thunderstorm warning for the track was issued about 30 to 45 minutes in advance, good lead time. But I also understand it from a fan's perspective. I paid money. And I know that once that track stops, once they stop the cars, the race was over. I think everybody who was there or anybody on Twitter knew that once that rain came in, the race was over. Okay. So that's what you paid for to see a winner. But I felt like NASCAR had a responsibility to stop the race, to get fans to safety. Now, once you once NASCAR did its part, like you got you got you got spotters, you got fans. Once you do your part to try to tell them, I mean, 
NASCAR can't lead everybody to their safety. Right. So, but ultimately, had NASCAR done what it was supposed to, said, okay, you know what? We know this is going to be bad. We've got lightnings, fan safety. We're just going to call the race. It's it's a matter of safety. We can't go racing after this. Did that, sent all the fans out and said, okay, you got to go. Now, once once you do that, I mean, if a fan sits out, if a fan is out by his car and, and, and then gets struck by lightning after you've done everything you can well in advance, then the, then the responsibility does shift. It shifts from the, the track and the NASCAR to individual personal responsibility. So, you know, those are just, I, I want people to be safe. I want people to have a good time. Um, I've even had Jeff one time, I think, I forgot, I think it was, uh, it's when they moved, it was also an Atlanta race where they had to move it um, because of a tropical system. They already moved it for a tropical system, but it was still wet afterwards. And he, sp- he positioned himself halfway from his hotel to the track. That one, I got lucky because that one, I told him he's probably not going to get it in, but nothing was going on. It took one cell, one timely place cell to make my forecast correct. Had it not hit the track, I would have been screwed. Yeah. I don't root to be right. Honestly, if I'm forecasting for rain and it doesn't, I consider I still, I'll take calling for rain and them racing over calling for racing and it rains. There's times where I, there's, there are moments where I don't mind being wrong when they race. I don't mind being wrong. When I say they're going to race and it rains, that's when I don't like being wrong because I mean, people are more forgiving when you get what they, when they get what they want out of it. And again, there's so much information out there. How should you read my forecast? How should you read Aaron's forecast? We are just one of many sources out there providing weather on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and on a weekly basis. We have a good track record. Uh, when you do look at our forecast, I hope you understand that it's coming for fans for fans. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what Aaron and I are. We want you to have the best time. Okay. Um, I'm not in this for money anymore. I'm not even in this. For, I don't even see, I don't even pay attention. I know I've got a couple of tens of thousands of followers. I do know that much. I don't even know what the number is right now on my following count. And that just tells you how much I'm not paying attention. Um, cause I'm not about that anymore. Um, I do like the NASCAR community. I want to get back involved. Uh, but yeah, unplugging from television meant I unplugged from social media and I need to get back to doing it. I will say I have been bad in the last three seasons with the transition from television to the weather service because shift work, you know, this coming weekend, um, I'm doing mid shift. So I start my day at 10 o'clock at night and I work until 7 a.m. Uh, so uh, yeah, I might be sleeping during a race. Hopefully it's not bad weather. <laughs> Um, but Aaron has been so great at carrying a lot of water the last couple of years as I made transitions. And I'm also not going to lie too. um, I really thought about stopping doing this altogether in the last couple of years. Why is that? Um, cause I couldn't devote as much time as I had in the past. And I felt like my followers deserved better. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew my end. I mean, I think also because of what I told earlier, kind of tongue in cheek, but it did hurt. It still does being kind of blacklisted by NASCAR as like this boogeyman that's somehow magically keeping fans away from the track. Um, there's a lot, goes a lot deeper. I, ha- I think it was, I want to say 2018, maybe 2017. Um, I jokingly, jokingly, but there's truth to it. It's not really a joke. There's some truth. Um, I'm the reason why meteorologists are banned from Sirius XM NASCAR. I don't well, know I if I should be for proud now, of that. Or- so at least she got me. Huh? I said, I work I know, for them but- now. So at least she got me. Oh, cool. Well, find out if they'll ever have us back. Okay. But I thought the ultimatum was you can't have meteorologists on your programs anymore. I'll do some digging. Um, but that was me. That was because of that Atlanta race. <laughs> uh, and I got a forecast right of all things. And I did not want, 
Um, cause I, I did the, uh, the morning show, uh, on Fridays. I loved doing that. I had a good, good amount. Um, I lost some gigs because of that. So yeah, that, uh, that stung. So I was a little bitter. I'm not going to lie. NASCAR left me a little bitter. So my interest stopped. That's why I thought about stopping all this thing altogether. I got, I got hurt by the, the, not the fans, but NASCAR itself. There we are. We're gone down the dark path now. <laughs> I hear it. Well, we'll end with this question. I've wanted okay. to know the answer to this question for years because I've heard conflicting reports and I feel like if there's anybody out there that can give me the straight I answer, like I, know it. I think it might be you. Is the vortex theory oh, yes. real? I knew that's where it was going. I knew you were going there. <laughs> I could tell right away the vortex theory. Is it real well, or not? It's a th- good thing it's a theory. It's not real. It's not real. You're breaking DW's heart, Brian. I, I break DW's heart all the time. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's maybe the biggest trolling thing that I get. I just, I've stopped. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. If you send me something about the, the vortex theory, I don't even respond to you anymore. <laughs> I don't. I'm like, I just nod and be like, uh-huh, okay. You know, what was your I, reaction I, so, when like he said that on air for the first time? Probably like this, like, what? You know, <laughs> what, what is this? You know, I had never, I mean, I never heard it. God love him. So let me, let me, let me break this down. First of all, tracks go, let me give you some science behind weather. Okay. I'm just going to put this out there and, and I'm going to put sure. this information out you and you can infer what you want. Please. So uh storm spin counterclockwise or they turn left all right the storms hurricanes you watch them in this hemisphere they go the same direction cars do around a track also they need lift hot air rises cars are producing hot air so in all things it would have the opposite effect meteorologically speaking than what DW is saying. It, it would do the complete opposite. To In order to kill rain, you need sinking air. You need air to come downwards and be more okay. stable. You don't want to add heat to the atmosphere. You don't want the air to spin circular. You want spin to go counterclockwise. Uh-huh. So both those things, just in that general aspect. And here's another thing. like The tracks that they really talk about the vortex theory are your short tracks. They're also, those tracks are also kind of in a bowl. So depending on which way the rain is coming, orographic lifting has a big part of it. As air goes up on one side, it will want in the rain. But as air comes down the other side, it dries out. So you could get like rain coming over a ridge and on one side it's raining, but as it's coming over, it's actually dying. So yeah, it looks like a lot of people who live on a hill or live around things will notice like how rain kind of seems to go around them. And that's some like more or less Bristol, based on- like right in the mountains. Yeah, it's more orographic lifting. So where these theories came into play was more about um, things that were going on, but it had nothing to do with the tracks on the track. Plus, if that was legitimately true, there would never be rainouts. Rain would never hit a track while the cars are out there. It would go all the way around. You would never, ever have a rainout. But DW is not wrong. He's never wrong. I'm not asking that DW didn't ask me the question. You asked me the question <laughs> and maybe that was more tongue in cheek. No, but I mean, honestly, I, I it's a cute little theory. Uh, it gets a lot of play and, and God bless DW. I mean, a I hell it. of a lot of play. That's why I asked it. Cause it's a joke now. <laughs> it, it, it is kind of, it should be a meme, but um, I think it is. Yeah. But no, I mean, how do I handle it? That's how I handle it. Actually. I don't even respond anymore. Uh, I think yeah. both Aaron and I, okay, the two things that 
the, the two not to do is bring up, if you want me to react to, or to respond to you, don't send that. Don't send me your weather app. Okay. Cause if you send me your weather app, you're basically saying I'm wrong. I don't like your forecast and I'm not going to listen to you. Uh-huh. So if you're going to send me that and you're going to tell basically that, cause that's what it tells me now. Also don't just send it without context. Like if you want me to respond by saying, Hey, I'm seeing this. Is there any truth in that? I'll be more than happy to answer that question. Cause that's actually a legitimate, like I got my source. This, this place I go get weather says, Oh, Hey, it's going to do this. Um, can you, what do you think? That's a very valid question. I like that because it means I've got information or is it in line that I can handle. But if you just send me out of nowhere without any context, it's like I have to infer why you're sending it to me. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you send that to me without any context, I'm going to assume it's not pleasant for me and I'm not going to respond. Um, And I might just say, well, hey, follow that app. Then if you don't like my forecast, follow the app. I mean, I'm you don't I'm. I'm just doing this. I'm a guy doing weather. You don't have, I mean, that's the, that's the thing I'm, I am very humbled about the number of people. I know I have a big following while I said, I don't know what the number is right now. Exactly. I know it's big and I'm extremely humbled um, to the people who do follow me, who uh, follow your podcast too. Um, by the way, I'll listen more. I'm, I'm listening to podcasts more as I drive to work. So got to um, listen, but boom. Uh, hey, uh, but I will say um, real quick before I wrap up, um, I love this community. It's a great community. You know, the NASCAR people, things, a lot of things have changed in the last couple of years. I mean, yeah. So what if it's, if it was 2008 that I've been doing it. So I'm, in, I'm almost 15 years, you know, doing NASCAR weather. It's hard to believe. I feel like right. I just, I feel well, I'm 44. So, you know, um, but I, I do love doing it. Uh, I, I really do. Um, I like the sport. I think sometimes the races now could be shorter. <laughs> My attention span is getting Agreed. a little bit. I like some of the stuff. Uh, maybe less track, less races. I think I'm afraid that, Agreed. you know, you got to grow this. Preacher so, of the choir. I mean, I've been saying shorter races, shorter season for years. I mean, de- from February to November, it's a, it's a marathon. That's why, I mean, oh. that's another reason why I have a really hard time constantly doing NASCAR weather because it is a hobby now for me, like my other hobby back behind me, which I don't even have a dent. That's which we didn't bring up, but yes, this is an absolute, this is my Lego collection. William stretches, Byron is a big Lego fan. Oh, I love Lego. Uh, it, my wife says, at least my wife says there's worse hobbies I could have. And she works at Barnes and Noble. So she's a bibliophile, which is a book lover. So it, 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 it basically, she feeds both our habits. Um, okay. And she gets 30% off, which, wow. <laughs> but uh, no, I love this and I, I want to get better. I love the fans who are really nice. Um, I've also taken the stance on social media. I, like, I, I, on nice weather days, like I don't want to bother you with nice weather tweets. It's sunny. There's my forecast but I do want to bring some stuff that I had on television. I might find some opportunities. It's funny though. I never did. I've only did a handful of videos and here I am a broadcaster and I've only done a handful of actual NASCAR uh, weather videos. Um, so I do lament some stuff. Why NASCAR never picked me up. I actually almost had a deal that went away. So I see I'm bitter <laughs> at times. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Well, Brian, thank you so much for the time today, man. I appreciate it. I will be, not only checking some apps, but checking your forecast as well. And uh, we'll check back in a, in, a, in a little bit whether or not the Vortex theory is actually not real or not. I, I'm still holding It's not it real. Up. I mean, it's a cute little thing. I let fans have it now. <laughs> Boy, you're not going to let this go. I'm not going to let you die with that last word. Uh-uh. Not going to happen as your <laughs> Vortex guess. theory is not you. real. There you go. 
you know what I've learned? If people want to believe it's real, if there's no harm in it, but scientifically speaking, it's not real. But yes. if it makes you sleep better at night and you can put that little <laughs> vortex theory under your pillow, I know. Go I for know. it. And let the DW fairy come and leave a dollar or something. There you go. Yes, yes. All right. Vortex theory is not real, and you are one of the smartest people on the show. How about we leave it at that? Uh, I don't think I I don't think I proved that today, so we might have to have <laughs> me on again. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it, man. And we're back. What a chat with Brian, huh? A little bit of a different episode this week. Shorter conversation, different conversation. A lot of people on social media and Twitter specifically probably know of Brian and have seen his forecast and have seen his weather. And they probably were looking at it this past week at Martinsville when there was some random snow flurries that were falling and rain as the Xfinity race started, rain before the cup race was supposed to start. Of course, great fortuitous timing there. But Brian is a great guy. I'm glad that he gave me so much of his time, and I'm really appreciative of it. And I know that you guys will be looking at his forecasts a lot moving forward. Well, actually, hopefully you won't be because that means that it's dry at the racetrack. But if and when the time comes when there is some precipitation in the area at the racetrack, Brian and Aaron Studwell of Raceweather, who we're going to try to get on the show, too, in the coming weeks, those are your guys to watch. So... Thank you for the time, Brian. Appreciate it, brother. Keep up the great work, and I will come to you with all of my meteorological needs. (laughs) We got a little bit of time left on the show this week, so let's discuss Martinsville because... ah, One good. Just one good. Look, I'm an optimist, and I like to paint a positive picture of things, not just in life, but in the sport as well. But there's no getting over the fact that this race was not good. It just was not good. Um, almost record low numbers in Jeff Gluck's Was It a Good Race poll. Zero, count them, zero on-track passes for the lead. William Byron passed Chase Elliott on pit road for the lead, and that was all she wrote. And it just wasn't the usual Martinsville. And this is not an indictment on the track. I don't think this is an indictment on the drivers. I don't even think it's an indictment on the car. Because the car has been fantastic everywhere that we've gone this season besides the short tracks. And it's not that it's been awful at the short tracks, but Phoenix was fine. You know, it was good. Richmond was okay. You know, it was fine. And Martinsville, as much as I hate to say it, was was a dud. It, it just was. And there's nobody in the world that wants Martinsville to be an absolute crazy awesome race than me because it's my favorite racetrack i was there on thursday for the truck race normal there on friday for the xfinity race normal and then saturday night for the cup race anything but normal because for a multitude of reasons as drivers have spelled out you know i encourage you guys to go read jordan bianchi's piece on the athletic dustin long's piece on nbc sports check out the front stretch podcast this week with joey logano who outlines some things with myself you know the cold temperatures didn't help the bigger tire, even though it gives you more grip, more grip means that you're not slipping and sliding around as much. The tire itself from Goodyear did not wear out. That was an issue. And the thing that I think is really concerning is that there was dirty air coming into play at short tracks when you're going 50, 60 miles an hour in the middle of the corner at Martinsville. And Joey Logano, who finished second, he's not afraid to move anybody out the way, and he was going to try it. But he told me he couldn't get close enough, which is not great. Not great, Bob. So something to watch moving forward on short tracks. But 
you can't even watch it moving forward because the next short track is Bristol in the fall, in the playoffs. I think that's correct. So, I don't know, man. I, I wish that there was an easy fix, and if there was, NASCAR will have implemented it by then, and the drivers will have you know, gone to them and, and said their piece. I don't know what the fix is, but that's why there's people that are way smarter than me that get paid way more money than me because I don't make anything off this podcast. And hopefully they can fix that issue because I think that NASCAR would be the first ones to tell you what they saw on Saturday at Martinsville is unacceptable, and it will be unacceptable for the penultimate race in the playoffs to set the championship for field because that has been the best race of the season in my book for the last couple of years with all the drama, the intensity, the beating and banging for those 500 laps in the fall. And you can't have that again. You just can't. So whatever needs to be done, I think NASCAR recognizes that something needs to happen and they will figure it out. It's just a matter of, you know, when they do, not if. Another big takeaway in my book that I had from the weekend was the Sam Mayer, Ty Gibbs shunt. We can say the fight that turned into a brawl on pit road. There was some beating and some banging uh, earlier in the race that that, you know, came down to it at the end. They're racing for the dash for cash, racing for the hundred thousand dollars. Sam Mayer tries to root and gouge the 54 out the way, who, by the way, led most of, if not the entire race, but did not end up winning. That went to Brandon Jones and on pit road. You know, they're parked next to each other after, by the way, Ty slamming. Sam coming into pit road, damaging his car after the race, which that's a no-no for for people in the industry because these guys and gals work really hard on preparing the cars and to kind of have that blatant disrespect for that, you know, that that's not really cool. So they get out of the cars. Uh, Sam and Ty start having some conversations. Sam's helmet comes off after Ty, you know, gives him a shove after the official is trying to hold him back. Sam's helmet's off. Ty's helmet's on. They're talking. They're jawing. You can kind of see and read between the lines that Sam said to Ty, you're a jackass. And it seems like that was the last straw for Ty. And that's kind of what set him off. Gave him the bop, bop, one, two, right in the face. Uh, Sam got a black eye of sorts uh, and his face was bleeding. But then on we watched the replay, right? Like, I think his face was bleeding because he got like smushed into the concrete, which does not sound fun. It was a fracas, man. I was standing on pit road. I watched it on the big screen. And then when they started shoving, I started running to the scene of the crime, so to speak. Um, and the first thing I saw was a NASCAR official who was down on the ground and he he was in some pain. So that was not good to see. Hopefully he's okay. We don't have the name of, of the man, but he was taken off on a stretcher, uh, taken to the infield care center. And he was evaluated and released. And then he got uh, checked out by a separate doctor for further evaluation. So Hopefully that gentleman's doing okay, but that was, that was something, man. I mean, and I'll give my take on it just real quick. I don't think Sam Mayer did anything wrong. Um, I think Ty Gibbs, you know, he'll probably admit as much. I, I would hope that he would, because he's a smart kid after the fact that it showed a lot of lack of self-awareness and he said it himself after Richmond, you know, John Hunter owes me one. He has moved people out of the way to win races before. He's going to do it in the future again. But he said, you know, it's going to come back to him, and it's going to be a problem that he has to deal with, getting moved out of the way for the win or for the dash for cash spot, $100,000, or it's just a spot on the racetrack in general. You know, Ryan Sieg, they had a run in this year. Obviously, Sam Mayer this past weekend, right? John Hunter the weekend before. I was really anxious to see how Ty would handle himself. If and when that did happen. 
and it kind of came to a head at Martinsville. And I got to say, I don't think that he handled himself in the best way possible. Um, you know, tempers flare. I get that. You're going to be angry. Ty should have been angry. He's going for a hundred grand. He's, he's trying to run for an Xfinity championship. He wants all the position and all the points that he can get. But to do what he did at Richmond and then to basically have something similar done to him at Martinsville, but with not as much arguably on the line, not being for the win, and then to run into Sam on the cooldown lap, damage the car, um, the helmet thing, you know, it makes a lot of people mad. I, I don't feel strongly one way or the other because I'm not a race car driver, but drivers have all said, you take the helmet off. That's what you do. So that's what I subscribe to because who am I to tell race car drivers that they're wrong to leave it on or they're wrong to take it off? M most people say, take it off, fight like a man, so to speak, and I'll lean towards what they say there. So leaving the helmet on, just the, the behavior after the race and pushing the official out the way, it, it was not the best display of <laughs> sportsmanship, which is you know a, a different buzzword in NASCAR, especially at short tracks. But it just showed, Jeff Gluck said it on the teardown, it was a lack of self-awareness. And, you know, after the race, they both went to the hauler. They talked it out. Apparently, you know, they're okay for now and they're going to move on. But this isn't the end of it. I mean, these guys are teenagers. They're going to be battling for the Xfinity Championship this year. They're going to be in the Cup Series for the next two full decades, you know, should things go according to plan for both of them. This is not the end of it. This isn't even the beginning of it either. They're rivals in K&N. Uh, Ty brake check Sam last year at this very track. So this is just the latest chapter in a book that's probably going to be really long of a Sam Mayer, Ty Gibbs type rivalry. And I got to say from the outside, I am excited to see <laughs> how the rest of that book gets written. So we'll see how that goes. But I don't think it was Ty Gibbs finest moment. Uh, I think Sam Mayer handled himself pretty well post race and all the different interviews and videos that I saw. Ty handled himself as well as he could in that moment. But I think it was overall a learning experience for all parties involved, more so the 54 driver. We're headed to Bristol Dirt this weekend party, people. Should be a fun event. I hope so. I, I don't think that putting dirt on one of, if not the best short track on the circuit, is the best idea. But I'm open to it, and I am heading in with a positive outlook. I'm not going to even look at the forecast right now because the last thing that we need to happen is a replay of last year and a lot of rain hitting the grounds at Bristol and making the dirt track basically a mud bowl. We don't need that. We don't want that. So hopefully Mother Nature plays a little bit nicer and cooperates. Um, and again, I, I want to plug that Joey Logano interview on the Front Stretch podcast this week, defending winner of the Bristol dirt race. He joined me this week to discuss that race. He's also running in the truck series race on Saturday night in that number 54 David Gillen racing Planet Fitness Purple Machine. So check that out on the Fox Family Networks this weekend. Again, Stuart Friesen, you know, he tested the next-gen car on the dirt track. He joined us on SiriusXM on Sunday. He said that things seemed to be a little bit better than they were at the start of testing and especially at the start of last year. So that's obviously something to, to be a little bit positive about. We'll see how it goes. They're going to have windshields. They're not taking those out. I know some drivers have felt pretty strongly one way or the other. I'm excited to see how it goes. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see if Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell can kind of show their prowess. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. as well on this dirt track because they didn't really get the chance to shine last year. 
regardless of what happens, it's still an event and it's still going to get a lot of buzz because it's different. And even though it's not new, it's still new-ish when it comes to the fabric of NASCAR racing. So love what they're doing, diversifying the schedule. I'm cool with dirt in the Cup Series. I just don't think that they should put it on Bristol. Go to a regular dirt track. Do Knoxville. Do Eldora. Do something. Don't waste a precious short track date and put dirt on it. That's just my take. It has been. It will be. And I ain't going to change. That'll wrap things up for episode 143, the Richard Petty episode of Victory Lane 2.0. I appreciate you guys listening, sticking with me these last couple weeks. It's been a bit of a weird, hectic, crazy schedule. And I appreciate Brian Newdor for giving me so much time and sharing his perspective on NASCAR and how it relates to the world of forecasting. If you like what you heard here today from myself, from Brian, or from Pop Siegel, please do me a favor and leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If that's Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, we should be available anywhere you get them. And if we're not, drop me a line on Twitter and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of NASCAR to recap Bristol Dirt and chat a little bit about Talladega. Good stretch of racing coming up, party people. Hope you enjoy it this weekend.